your upwards trajectory. Um, it's only going up at the moment. You're very busy these days. Are you finding? Are you almost daunted by the future in terms of how busy you might become, considering the level of your trajectory, the events you're getting booked are getting bigger and bigger. Um, what's your plan, or do you have one? You know, that's a really good question. Like, really good question. Um, yeah, I'm trying to find the balance at the minute of like not burning out it's not just me like it's a lot of my friends as well when we do see each other I'm like babe are you okay like are you eating are you sleeping um because you know these 2am sets and playing after midnight and you don't necessarily get home straight away so a lot of it um you do need to make sure that like you're rested and you're recuperating so yeah I've been trying to find the balance with that so um in terms of being a bit worried yes absolutely I don't have the best health um it takes me a lot to sort of recover from the shows like even physically but yeah like mentally as well I remember there was one point um when the show started becoming more regular and I would just like come home or go back to the hotel wherever I was and I would just sit on the floor and cry because I was just so overwhelmed yeah. but um yeah I think the way that it's sort of going now I'm playing at least four shows a month and some of them might be international so I am a little bit worried I'm not gonna lie I feel like a very small fish in a very big pond mm -hmm. um but obviously I don't have a plan b this is sort of I'm just gonna try and give it 100 try and go full speed for as long as I can I think as long as I can do it I know that my heart is pure and my intentions are its best and I'm making a positive impact on people and I'm making people happy you know something that really motivates me as well is when I see these people in the club and they come up to me or people dm me like I very much do reply to the quote-unquote fans and just hearing people say like this mix means so much to me or your high energy mix motivated me to get out of bed like that's why I do it it's another reason like I imagine those people that are going to hear it and come to the shows and stuff so that makes it worthwhile but yeah I think um I'm gonna try and just do as much as I can whilst maintaining my health and my happiness it's a very sort of um it's a very sort of sensitive ecosystem you know if one of them goes it's sort of they all sort of rely on each other do you know what I mean definitely yeah and, and if diversity inclusion is something that's very important to you as a company I imagine something else that's very important is sustainability given the nature of your company why is that so important to you and how important do you think it is for all future founders to have that in mind whenever they're starting anything as that, you know, for their mission statement to be sustainability oriented? I mean, I just can't be more frank about this. The climate crisis is enormous. Things are way worse than we have collectively woken up to. And quite literally, the fate of humanity is uh, sort of on the cards. And I really passionately believe there's nothing more important that we need to work on. I also believe that the sustainability revolution will make the digital revolution and the industrial revolution before it will make both of those seem like a walk in the park. You know, the industrial revolution took place over centuries. We're going to have to completely reinvent absolutely every part of our work and our lives. And we're going to have to do that in decades, not centuries. So I believe that there will be no business within the next 10 years, say, that unless they have profit with purpose um, at their core, unless they are 
well on the way to being truly sustainable. I believe they will lose the license to exist. Society will no longer tolerate businesses that are extracting profits at the expense of people and planet. Yeah, definitely. And it's important for everyone to stay educated. What about yourself, though, in terms of earlier, you had this sort of light, light bulb moment in a way uh, in 2015. But was this, did the sustainability come with that? And if so, did you know about the problem as much? Um, or did that come later, knowing that you could solve that or not solve it? So, yeah, so I can remember at university learning about climate change and global warming and all those sorts of things. But then I sort of went out into the business world after that and largely forgot about it all because it just was not being considered or discussed anywhere as part of mainstream business or lifestyle or culture. Thankfully, that has started to change really quite rapidly, I'd say, over the past two years, really. Um, but certainly for me, when I founded Olio, I had that experience with not wanting to throw away food. The first thing my co-founder Sasha and I did was to research the problem of food waste. And that was what then took me uh, on my sustainability journey. So with the problem of food waste, we discovered that globally, one third of all the food we produce each year gets thrown away, which is worth over a trillion US dollars. Alongside that, we have 800 million people who go to bed hungry every night, who can be fed in a quarter of the food we waste in the Western world. And the environmental impacts of all that food waste is absolutely devastating. If it were to be a country, food waste would be the third largest source of greenhouse gas emissions after the USA and China. And that's because a landmass larger than China is used every year to grow food that's never eaten. So um, that was obviously a hugely sort of shocking experience. It then opened my eyes to the concept of, I guess, kind of waste more broadly, the climate crisis more broadly. Um, and I'm now absolutely convinced that in addition to having the climate crisis, which broadly is, is sort of discussed about in terms of sort of a carbon problem, we have two other equally pressing crises that um, need to be addressed. We have the biodiversity crisis. So, you know, we have basically destroyed and driven to extinction roughly kind of 70% you know, of, um, of other species. Uh, and then we have the resource depletion crisis. So at the moment, humanity is consuming resources as if we have 1.75 planets. And so Earth overshoot days on the 29th of July. And so that's the day in the year in which we've used all the resources the earth can replenish in a year. So the current status quo is clearly unsustainable. And this is something that myself and Sasha, we've really kind of committed our lives to addressing and changing. And that's why as we've been on our, our own personal journeys of learning about the climate crisis, the biodiversity crisis, the resource depletion crisis, learning about sustainability more broadly, that's why um, the Olio remit and proposition has extended beyond just food waste so we now connect people with their neighbors so that they can give away other household items uh, as well and they can also lend and borrow everyday items instead of buying them brand new because the reality is we don't all need a cat carrier and camping chairs and disco balls and air mattresses we need to be lending and borrowing things instead of buying things and we need to be using the resources that already exist in our local community um, so, yeah, it's been quite a journey. And then on a personal level with my family, I've spent the past five years trying to dramatically reduce our footprint on the planet, trying to lead an increasingly zero waste lifestyle, which has really transformed the way we eat, the way we shop, where we live. Um, but the great news is it has made us healthier, wealthier, 
and happier. A quick ad break to talk about London tap water. Nellith, did you know one in five bladder cancer cases are caused by the tap water that we drink? I didn't know, but this is why we're proud to have Water2 as sponsors of the podcast. Water2 is a new water company serving the water in aluminium cans and via home filters called pods, which plug in under your tap to bring you bottled water on tap. Amazing, right? Backed by years of research at University College London, the tech behind the water is over a thousand times more powerful than our common Brita filter. It's a totally groundbreaking company. We recently had the founder, Charles, on the podcast, and we're both regular drinkers of water too. It's something we really live by. It's better for you, safer for you, and better for the environment. So, to get your own pods, head over to water2.com. Health starts with hydration, and you deserve more than just tap water. Yeah, I find it fascinating what you're saying about sort of de-risking uh, entrepreneurship. And, you know, that's something in your career before, you know, you've gone to Oxford, you've gone to Deloitte, which in our universities, that's signs of, you know, ultimate success. That's the pinnacle for some people and what they can do. Whether you think that or not, that is yeah, yeah. what we've... And then startups are notoriously hard to control the success of it. You know, you start yeah. it and, 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 you know, you said you've been trying to gear it, so there's less risk in doing it. But, like, how have you found that, you know, adapting from somewhere where it's much more in your control to achieve success to like now it's like very much up to you and there's no one telling you what to do yeah so i think the first thing i would say is that this is this is the like least risky time to be an entrepreneur like i think you can actually do a hell of a lot like with an idea and a, and a concept without actually quitting your job or whilst doing whilst having a job if you think about it like 40 years ago if you wanted to start a business you basically had to go raise a load of money pay for some servers like hire a cto like hire some office space like you'd have to do all of that which costs a lot of money and you basically have to raise a lot of money you have to quit whatever you're doing and do that full time now you know i can literally set up a a g suite account tomorrow it would cost me 10 pounds a month to set up a website domain name domain name i can set up a free website on you know um square squarespace or whatever you can do all of that without spending more than like 30 or 40 pounds a month you can go and test users you can use things like notion and even notion ai and you can create landing page like you can do so much without actually quitting your job so i think anyone who actually wants to be an entrepreneur or has an idea like i'd really encourage you to like do as much as you can without spending any money because actually there's a lot you can do and you know there's a lot you can do to test ideas out with users and that sort of thing as well so that's the first thing i'd say secondly in terms of like transitioning from more more kind of to actually answer your question, transitioning from a very structured to an unstructured environment, it's obviously quite tricky. But I think if you're like, if you're like ambitious and you want to like solve problems, like you quickly get bored by the kind of stasis of a consulting firm where like, basically if I didn't turn up for work for a month, like it, it wouldn't really matter. Like it literally wouldn't, like when I left, for example, like, it just didn't matter. Like it was, you know, people are nice and everything. I'm not having to go at them, but like just the way the company set up, like your impact is so small. So like, I think after a while, if you are quite ambitious, you just naturally want to do something else. Like most of my peers in my year group, like in consulting have all left and gone off and done other things, generally working in startups or tech, because you can just have more impact there. So I think if you have those instincts, like you just, you want to get out of that world because, you know, ultimately there just is a real impact limit to the impact you can have. Uh, and you want to apply the skills that you've learned there to something where you can actually make a difference. And obviously it's more risky because it's less it's less stable, um, you're less sure of revenue and customers, but at the same time, like you can actually see what you're doing each day and how it's making a difference for good or for worse as well. Um, yeah. Yeah, and 
in those Hawaii restaurants, mm-hmm. one of the one of the things that happened there was that Beth Hadid was uh, mm-hmm. pictured using that, and obviously that's great publicity. What did you think about that when it actually happened, and how? What have you learned from that promotion that you got from it in terms of how how it can help develop your business? Um, I when, when it happened, I remember going to my phone and seeing like the messages. Um, I smiled and I sort of just put my phone down because I thought, okay, I didn't. I actually didn't know who she was. I, I knew she. I saw she had like a million followers. So I was like, that's cool. But I didn't know who Bella Deed was. Like, I couldn't name like a supermodel. Um, I was like, okay, that's cool. And then I, I, I saw my friends later that day, and they were like, wow, this is like the best thing you've ever done. And I and I was like, no, the the best thing I've done was. I secured this restaurant deal with a restaurant you've never heard of around half the world, which would bring in much more revenue and clear sort of tangible benefits. But like consumers and people don't care about the the internals of a business. If they see Bel Hadid with your product, um, that's that, that, that's that's a great thing. So, in retrospect, it's something I'm I'm, I'm proud of, um, um, and, and it's certainly something we've really used to its to its its fullest uh, capacity. Like she she has no. Uh, commercial relationship with Jelka at all um, and she didn't even like mention our name she just happened to take a photo and the the product was with her um, so in retrospect it's one of the things I'm proud of and I guess it's like clout which actually does matter in, in consumer brands um, but yeah it, it's kind of um, it's, it's kind of like PR like uh, business owners know P- none of PR is real that's not to say it's fake, but it's just a distortion of reality. Like what real businesses are based on are like P and Ls and like balance sheets and this sort of thing. Not if you're in Forbes or if Bella Hadid has your product. So it's nice, but it's just not it's not real. Yeah, as mentioned before, I mean a lot of problems we have are because we compare ourselves to one another. And social media, other factors have exacerbated that. And going to university, but maybe what are some advice you can give? to love oneself and to be happy with yourself and maybe even practical tips in, in terms of reinforcing that? I mean, I'd probably um, move more towards sort of trying to accept oneself and and support oneself rather than necessarily, don't think we can always love ourselves. It's complex. And, you know, sometimes I might be frustrated with myself or, a bit disappointed with myself and maybe that's okay but probably the the best thing I would say is sort of if you can try to treat yourself like you treat a good friend that's probably a good way forward and often that's a quick sort of shortcut because you can think about in any situation what would I say to my friend and often we have kind of a really good instinct you know and you know that allows for us being a bit frustrated with a friend or annoyed with a friend and you know I suppose it's a bit more realistic than wanting to love ourselves or to be happy all the time because again I I think in this this world that we all live in maybe that's kind of that's unrealistic can get us can get us into problems if we're expecting to be happy Uh. entrepreneurship it's just one of the experiences you can talk about when you're going into an interview, and, and albeit a great one. But you've also done a lot of other experiences, you know, spring weeks or internships. What do you think is the importance of doing so much experience at university, and would you have done anything differently? Okay, so I think, like, my this will be my number one message of the whole podcast, is, like, you should look, especially if you're in first year right now, you should look at your life, and you should be thinking, how can I 
live my happiest version of my life while boosting my career or my CV or whatever it is at the same time. And so I think internships, especially spring internships, are the easiest way to add credibility to your CV, immediate credibility, because you'll have brand names on there. And I think people often make the mistake of in first year, especially at, at the top top universities where spring weeks is like a culture there of applying to the hardest ones that everyone's talking about. But I think actually applying to the ones that are slightly further off the beaten track mean that are actually also ones that you're more likely to get. They give you the same level of credibility um, at a much lower cost to you and also at mm. a much lower risk. So that's my number one, like the first thing that I want to say. And the second thing is in terms of like building yourself um, through university um, while also having a good time, I think like there are so many hacks you can put into your life um, that make your normal day-to-day life something that's suddenly appealing to a company. Um, and so just running through like ideas of how to do that. I think if you analyze the things that you take pleasure in doing, you can actually very easily find ways to turn those into things that are going to then be impressive to companies. So I, for example, play in a five-a-side team every Tuesday evening. And LSE, the uni I'm at, doesn't have a five-a-side football team. So if you were trying to boost your CV while doing exactly the same thing that you do already in your normal life, you would set up the LSE five-a-side football team and you would just continue business as usual and then suddenly be able to demonstrate leadership. And there are so many other things like that. So any any case of like if you go to the gym, it's you're better off instead of training five times a week in the gym and having no recognition outside of like a fantastic rig, <laughs> you, you should be aiming to have um, some sort of sport that you can put that effort into. Um, be it like the weightlifting club at your uni. Because again, that demonstrates to people that you're doing it through the formal institutionalized channels. Um, and I think that's like a like a massively beneficial way to live your life at uni and get sort of um, credit for things that potentially other people aren't getting credit for. What do you think for students and young people now, like, you know, if this is the education system, what kind of things can they be doing to prepare themselves for the, the workforce better, you know, things to get them inspired and, and passionate about what they might be able to do in the future. And, um, and finally, what industries do you think, you know, as somebody who's in a tech company right now, and, you know, you do a lot in sustainability and everything like that, what is the up and coming industries that people should be looking out for? So two parts to that question. So first of all, what my advice is to play, you know, figure out what you're interested in, and go play with it, kind of figure it out, right? If it's content creation, start a podcast as you guys have, or a YouTube channel, or a TikTok channel, or whatever you're, you're drawn to. You know, start filming your gaming and, and put it on Twitch. You know, that's a, that's a creative discipline. If you're interested in a business, start one. Don't talk about it, just start one, right? It's super easy to do. It's 30 quid to register a company. You know, you can uh, create a website in about 45 minutes using Squarespace or Wix and, and just play with it and make the mistakes and sort of celebrate those mistakes when you make them. And many other examples. So the, the message there is to play. Think about what draws you, what excites you and and play with it. You know, it's surprising where that will, that will take you and very minimum, it will give you something to talk about that's really a source of passion a source of passion for you. 
in, in terms of the merging industries or, or, or sort of areas, I did a post on this recently on LinkedIn. You know, I think there's, I'm a technology geek, so I come with that bias, though so this won't interest the, the uh, violinists and, and the painters amongst your audience. But I'm fascinated by a few emerging trends. You mentioned sustainability, so let me start there. I mean, it's a, an existential challenge that we have as humanity. And, you know, there's a, an emerging sector, which is, which is sort of around climate tech. It's carbon sequestration, carbon storage. It's around alternative energy sources and energy security that sort of come to the fore in rather tragic circumstances recently, whether that be battery or hydrogen or other forms of alternative greener energy and um, and many other sort of elements. There's hardware components. So how do you equip our power grids to cope with sustainable energy and, and much more unpredictable patterns of usage? So green tech, I think, is a really interesting thing. Quantum computing is definitely the next generation of the physical or physics side of, of computing. You know, we're still, even with the most powerful computers in the world operating essentially with ones and zeros. So these little transistors that work in a binary way. And the idea of quantum computing is to detach from that sort of binary one or a zero and take advantage of the quantum physical principle of superposition where you can be a one and zero or any kind of combination of that. And that it turns out vastly increases the processing power of computers. And we had a, an event that we declared in, I think it was October, 2019, with a quantum com computer called Sycamore with just, I think it was 56 qubits. These are the, the superposition sort of uh, units that, that make them up. That solved a mathematical equation in 200 seconds that would have taken the most powerful supercomputer available today, 10,000 years. So that gives you a sort of sense of the, the step change. It'll take some time to, for, for the quantum computers to be stable and reliable enough to, to use in a practical way. But it's definitely a sort of a quantum leap, forgive the pun. Artificial intelligence, you know, obviously that's in the public eye at the moment in a, in a big way. The computer science has been around for a long time and it's in the public consciousness only recently because, you know, we've got these little sort of beta tools that are being released, but the, you know, that style of computing has, has been around for some time. And I think computers just have this ability to spot patterns in data that human eye can't and won't. And the most exciting applications, in my opinion, are in the medical field where, you know, AI can be used, for example, to spot early signs of malignant uh, tissue in, in, uh, in female breasts or to spot early signs of macular degeneration or uh, diabetic retinopathy and stop people from going blind. Uh, you know, these are very meaningful. And more recently, protein folding, these 200 million basic building blocks of life whose shape is as important as their, their chemistry and amino acids to defining hitherto unsolved uh, incurable diseases, right? So I think there's some really exciting applications there. I could go on, but I'll, I'll leave it at that. Yeah, obviously, it's, it's an ongoing thing throughout everyone's life. You know, this definition of success, everyone sort of battles with what it is. But yeah. what is something you would have told yourself at university then? 
about you know not just like defining success but generally just like how much you should sort of look forward into the future about you know your career because I think a lot of people sort of close off options you know they they've got this degree which let's be honest they've picked, usually picked because they're good at A level without yeah. ever actually considering what else they could be good at yeah you know, what are some things that you think you'd tell yourself. I think the first thing is just enjoy the experience more, like enjoy the present more. Like you get university once, you get that experience once, stop worrying too much about the future. Like things will sort itself out. Mm-hmm. Um, it might not be perfect in terms of the way you want it to go at the beginning, but you'll get there in the You'll get there eventually. So like for me, you know, I was obsessed with getting this banking job. I didn't actually get it whilst I was at uni. It was only while after once I um, started in consulting that I reapplied for banking. And that was a painful experience, but I got there. Um, but there's just so much more to enjoy about uni than, than like, work. Like, you're, like, you're, if you really deep it, you're, like, 20 years old, yeah. right? 21 years old. You've That's got your crazy. whole life ahead of you to work. You'll, everyone will get there eventually. It, like, everyone, you know, everyone, fo- everyone has a different path. Some people get there really quickly. Some people take a bit longer. But you kind of got to let things happen naturally. Um, so I would say, like, enjoy the moment more. Um, and it's something that I definitely didn't do at times. Like, I used to get really upset about when I, when I, you know, when things didn't go my way and I didn't get what I wanted. Um, and I used to, let, I used to really let it get me down. But like reflecting back, I would just say enjoy the moment more. Like, you're at uni once. Yeah, and, and when you're trying loads of things, and this is sort of a feeling that you know, I have, maybe you can relate to it, is there's a very fine line between I'm doing a lot, I'm trying a lot, and actually just feeling lost. Like, mm-hmm. as in, almost the more you try, you know, especially if it doesn't come off, like, it can make add to that confusion and feeling lost in your career. Uh, how do you sort of look at that? Like, what do you think about this feeling of being lost and confusion in reflection, having graduated, you know, three or four years ago? How do you reflect on that whole graduation period mm, good question i can't remember i can't remember if this is steve jobs or barack obama but someone said <laughs> someone said um and i'm also going to butcher the quotes so maybe i should just like claim it as my own at this point um but someone said it's so much easier to connect the dots looking backwards i think you will feel lost um i don't now but like for a good two, three years after I graduated, I, w- I felt completely lost. But I now look back at it and it makes sense. Like I I look back and I'm glad I did each of those things. And sure, it might have been hard to explain to my granny at the time, like why I had a different job for the second time in a year or was working on a different project for the third time that month or whatever it was. But it, it will make sense looking back. And I think you just have to have faith in that. Um, I don't I don't think it will make full sense at the time. When you think about the feeling of being lost and, you know, you have this feeling and, and maybe you're actually reflecting on it now, you saw it as a good thing or maybe an opportunity to, like, dive into different things. And and, and you also said that you didn't feel this sort of pressure to, like, go into this big consulting job or, you know, maybe follow, like, somewhere like UCL. They really promote just, like, you know, getting that industry experience straight off the bat. Like, what actual tools and like practical things do you think students can be implementing at a younger age so that when they graduate they're doing something they're passionate about without that feeling of being lost Mm, good question might not be such a practical tool but definitely a good reminder i think it's there's a lot of comparison that happens when you graduate and i think you have to be quite resilient to shoulder that um i think 
you know, there was a point when when I was going through that accelerator, I had moved back in with my parents because I was earning peanuts. Like, quite literally didn't have to pay tax for a year because I was earning that little. Um, and, like, it was mentally really hard. And I think one thing I did is just kind of block out the outside world, if that made sense. Um, because I just wanted to, A, 100% focus on what I was building. And so for four months... This was, like, beginning of 2021, so, like, lockdown three in the UK. For four months, just, like, basically went to this hole. And obviously, like, stayed in contact with close friends and had some really supportive people around me and and all of that. But, like, really just avoided any chance for comparison. I think comparison is the thief of joy. Um, And so... I like deleted social media and just like really tried to give my mental health the best chance of like like making it out okay because it was a pretty it was a pretty difficult time I was putting a lot of pressure on myself and like was just like on a really slow path to burning out which is one of the reasons that that startup didn't kind of like take off after the accelerator um so yeah I think like a tip would be just avoid that comparison at all costs both you comparing yourself to others but other people putting that comparison on you I remember so many discussions when I graduated of being like oh did you hear this person's got you know xyz starting salary as if that was the measure of success or even that we were all aiming for whatever your individual measure of success was at the age of I was what 20 um which I think is just kind of insane but that's I think a lot of people were stressed out and so we were all just like comparing people's different plans to each other so yeah, I don't know. I think if you the the danger to feeling lost when you graduate is that you will try and feel secure by picking a path that seems like the norm or seems like the best route to everyone else but isn't necessarily the best route for yourself, right? It would be very easy to be like, "Oh, okay, uh I don't know what I want to do." Uh, but but everyone's going into consulting. So maybe I should just do that because they seem to have it all really figured out. Um, and so maybe I should just, you know, go try and get into McKinsey or whatever it is. Um, and that would have been a mistake. So I think, yeah, just avoid comparison, both like from other people on you and also from yourself. Um, and as I said, kind of give yourself permission to feel that way and just like move through it. It's, it's interesting to see you've obviously attributed a lot of your a lot of your success to your own hard work and whatnot. But then a lot of it also to network and having the right people around you. Advice to people our age, you know, 21, about to graduate, how do you get in those right circles? What are some things people should be doing now to sort of develop that network? Well, you know, as you said earlier, people are generally a lot nicer than you think they will be, firstly. So especially if you're passionate about your hobby or your, you know, your vacation, like whatever you want to do, don't be afraid to ask the questions as I said earlier you know don't be afraid to like anything which feels awkward is probably actually there's a reason it's awkward is because it's going to be the right thing to do mm-hmm. and actually people aren't going to respond in the way you think they may they're probably going to be a lot nicer even if they do so now secondly like you've got to realise that with these opportunities one thing coming your way opens up a whole, whole flood yeah. of other contacts. Like, I've now got, like, 
just stu- like, I, I was looking earlier because we we're trying to get a guest on, on another podcast next week, and I was like, who should we get? And I was just flicking through old WhatsApp chats, and I'm like, what? Like, why the fuck do I have like <laughs> just the most incredible people? Like, I, I haven't even really, like, really spoken to them, and then so, like, and that's all came from like one sort of little offering. So, so I think you shouldn't be scared to like put yourself out there. Firstly, but how do you get into the the circle is the main question, right? Like, how do you get into that? It's a hard one because we've all got our own backgrounds. Like, my mum's played a huge part in opening doors for me initially in the podcasting world. But then that didn't necessarily attribute to... I mean, gave me Andy Willman, who, you know, is the Top Gear producer in Grand Tour. Mm-hmm. Suddenly through there, he said I was he really enjoyed what I did. He then gave me a little thing. I mean, I think it comes from, like, one opening. That's all you need. You need one opening, and that can literally open... It, it doesn't have to be a network, which feels... like You, you know, sometimes when you listen to like, a podcast like this, and they yeah. go, like, your network, you, you immediately think, like, oh, they're constantly buzzing around you. Yeah. Like, oh, they're a network of people, like, who are always there. It's, it's not true. Yeah. Like, a network is, like one contact to the next sometimes so like as soon as we had this one big South African guy on our pod I just said to him like mate just give me this give me a Sia Khaleesi's number will you <laughs> and he's like uh, okay and then Sia came on I said, like, oh Sia could you give me um, you know fucking James O'Connor's number yeah. whatever suddenly before you know it you've got like 40 people and then you will do a good job with them they then you know give you 40 more before you mm-hmm. you, you know in my, in my industry so I think it's just like making sure that you and also, don't you, like it, it, it comes back, and you know, I said it earlier, and I've, I've said it a thousand times. Don't be afraid to ask the question. If I was mm. too scared to ask one of these guys for someone else, I wouldn't have had about sixty opportunities I've had. Yeah, and they all come from the next. As soon as you melt one, melt the other, melt the other, melt the other. But make sure you treat them well course, and yeah. like they have a good time, because they're the guys who like you know just open up their doors because they're the ones who know everyone. Definitely. And they may only know three people, but those three know four. And then suddenly, if you're the one person who can keep going through their network, then you're just going to be okay. I do history, like you mentioned, mm. and you did something that doesn't directly lead into what you want to do. So it's yeah. You know, say you do medicine, you do law. It's you're doing that, and more like more than likely you're wanting to do that as a career. Mm. How do you balance at university? finding what you want to do in the future, you know, be it internships or just researching what you want to do with the actual degree you're doing, getting yeah. both done, because I feel like most people find that a challenge. Yeah, oh, definitely. That is a challenge. Um, I think the one thing I didn't appreciate at university that I was told when I was at university is the time you have. Um, I and I had a lot of time and I did waste, not waste, because I had a great time yeah. and that is not to be undervalued or understated, but... There was definitely, I could have got a better balance of having a good time, sport as well, and doing some stuff in the right times to, you know, have a like better chance of a better career or yeah, whatever. Of so for me, I managed to do a lot of things in my summers. So I managed to do, even if it's a weak experience, it's so worth doing. I've spoken to a lot of people, tried to help a lot of people post-university who have come out having not done anything in the summers, maybe done like some, you know, teaching tennis or working, you know, that's a terrible example, but, you know, whatever their, whatever their sport is or whatever. But they haven't got like a, they haven't done any career stuff or anything like that. And it's very difficult to then go, you know, whatever job you apply to, you need to show some form of skill or interest in something to be able to back yourself up. Whereas if you haven't done anything, it's very difficult. Yeah. Um, so try and do, even if it's a week or two weeks, I did give context in my first year, I did a month, um, 
at Deloitte in uh, Switzerland in their consulting practice. And then in second year, I did two months there. Um, and the third year, I graduated and did startups. Uh, and then in the mid, and I also did a, I did a couple of weeks at a private equity company. And I mean, I was very fortunate and worked hard for those things. But it, you know, I'm not the smartest bloke, and I just work really hard and, and manage to get those opportunities. And the earlier you can do that, the better. Yeah. And even like even yourself, like you know, doing this as we sort of spoke about briefly is a great thing to be doing because at least you're doing something. Yeah. You can talk about it and you can relate it to jobs, and it's useful for yourself and for other people. You know, I can massively relate to what you're saying because even with something like this podcast, yeah, I would always have conversations with people about my career because I'm very interested in it. I, you know, I want to find out what I want to do, but I would never record them. And why would I not put it out? And this isn't, you know, this is with no intention of getting a job, but it will look good on my CV because I'm doing something different. And, you know, it, it will be an interesting thing for someone to latch onto when they're, reading your CV that doesn't just say, oh, you've done the internships, you've done yeah. this. Like, it's something that it doesn't, you know, you're, you're a founder now and you have to hire people you know, mm-hmm. that you'd probably find something that stands out and you're like, oh, what's this? I'm going to look into this. Something interesting to look at on the CV compared to no, conventional I, route. That That's so true. Like so many CVs I get look the same and like so many people have done like, they have like, they've done an internship here. They've done like a couple of internships. They did well in that. They did well at school. And then it's like, well, that's great. But like, I don't really care about that. Like, tell me about you. And then I stalk them on Instagram. And I always do this, like... And then I stalk them on TikTok and I stalk them on Instagram. Mm -hmm. And, like, they have to have both. Because if they don't have both, then they're, like, not the beachy clientele. When, in the most recent job I posted for, I, like, sort of... I've got it wrong hiring people quite a few times. And so I was, like, I know I really specifically want someone that can do all of these different things. And when people... This is just, like, a top tip. But when people put... If they've got skills, instead of like listing your skills, put the app, like cover photo, like the logo mm-hmm. of the app. Because I then look at that and I'm like, oh, those are all the apps that I use and I don't want to use. Like as in like I want someone else to do them. And it's like, well, I can do these. Do you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. And also making a CV visual is so important. Yeah. Um, like making sure your CV looks good. Um, but also another thing you can do, which is completely free, is just find out like if you're good at everything nowadays is going to be like is going to have something to do with online mm-hmm. so like make sure you're good at computers you don't need to be like good at excel you don't need to be like an excel whiz but like if you're doing something creative dabble with graphics like play with canva and like the graphics apps and that's something or like even now you're about to go off and like edit this you could be a radio producer <laughs> do you know what i mean yeah, yeah. like everything interlinks into each other we sort of go back a little bit mm-hmm. into what you just said about other people's biases of, of mm-hmm. various of your characteristics mm-hmm. i mean and how your mm-hmm. view of yourself has changed in mm-hmm. entrepreneurship and, yeah. and this journey that you're going on mm-hmm. how do you that how do you just like let mm-hmm. or not let other people's biases mm-hmm. affect how this like views yourself because obviously that's a bit of a challenge mm-hmm. um or at least it seems as such mm-hmm. so if you go look at the studies of biases that people have uh female entrepreneurs are looked upon as risks and threat to their capital to investors and male entrepreneurs are looked as opportunity so how investors or how 
people frame question normal people as well i've seen in linkedin comments of different people how if a female entrepreneur is presenting her business in, even in a comment how other people react to them and if a male entrepreneur is um pitching their business in a comment in linkedin comment linkedin comments and people react to them right uh, an example of this would be how will you acquire customers right mm-hmm. if this is a good question and how will you hold on to them right they're asking about go to market and etc the mm-hmm. investors are asking so this is a question for female entrepreneurs whereas uh, a female a male entrepreneur is going to be asked question like so what's your go to market strategy and where are the opportunities the first question is how do you plan to acquire customer and how will you hold on to them is kind of obviously looking at you as a threat as a risk right that it's going to be difficult for this person to acquire customers and it's going uh, to be more expensive for them to hold on to their customers as well so it's critical it's a critical yeah. it's a prevention question yeah. it's it's a very preventive question to female founders and these are like you'll see them everywhere and then if you ask that male founder it's the same question in a different position like what's your go to market strategy and what are the opportunities right now you're going to be like oh i'm going to have hire 10 people i'm going to pay them this much i'm going to put our name in front of these 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 partnerships and this is what we're expecting and this is how we're going to grow this business so you know the questions that are put forward to you as well will also change the answer yeah even if you want to know the same thing so those are the things that i have learned that happens and yeah we are very far we are very far from um training the investors or training people to see how do you get rid of that unconscious bias of looking at women as a risk to actually like look at them equally so everybody played games as a kid yeah. and it's something that you know I'm passionate about you are passionate about as a kid how do you get into esports then like what is the avenue so you like games what's the next stage there see that that's exactly where we sort of started in the space was you know we we didn't see like a correct transition into the space for you know the next generation or people who are just really passionate and enthusiastic as children and wanting to see sort of the commercial side and elements of it i mean ju- just diverting the question i will come back but uh you know it, it's such a massive industry it's larger than the music and movie industry combined which is you know obscene if you look at call of duty for example as a franchise it's larger than star wars or marvel which are the largest movie franchises out there in terms of net revenue but how would one really get into it? um for instance work that we've really tried to advocate um has been a lot of non-for-profit work in our main uh, federation which is British Esports Federation. We have partnered with Pearson and we offer a, a variety of A levels, GCSEs and soon to be university qualifications across the nation. And that being said, we also do a lot of national championships which you can start in your school and play against other schools just so, to sort of build out the ecosystem and infrastructure and engage children from a younger age because um the career opportunities are really really endless in uh, esports keep in mind you know when from the development of a game to an actual tournament uh, being produced it requires everything from marketing to business to the music industry to the uh, production side of things and the movie and film so yeah i mean there there's just plenty of avenues what what would i say going out to someone looking to get involved in the space i believe it well it depends what entrance you want to go in graphic design you can come into a lot of esports 
teams or companies or merchandise going uh, as a designer and that can lead you up the rank if you want to go through there or if you want to come in from the production side you can come in as a games tester or if you're at the top end level and really have that time to practice and put in the hard hours you know you can really be a pro player which you know is what everyone dreams of i think i mean i can yeah. i'm sure you did as a kid uh, likewise sadly i wasn't t- top of my game uh, for too long i'm blaming bad wi-fi for that one <laughs> yeah it seems you're a very naturally motivated person but there have been times in your career where either during your education or in your actual career where you've been juggling a lot of things, doing a job on the side or doing education as, as, on the side of your work. How do you prevent burning out from too much work? What are some habits to keep you sort of motivated and healthy? So there was a moment I, I should say that uh, it wasn't that, I wouldn't say it's a burnout, but rather that I felt that I couldn't add a lot of value or that I was taking the, the wrong decisions all the time. And I think that had to do with self-esteem. And, and that was something that I had to work aside. It wasn't because I wasn't capable. I, I was realizing I wasn't capable and I was hurting myself so much because of taking bad decisions. And I didn't realize that sometimes as an entrepreneur, you have to take not only one, but a lot of decisions. So you as an entrepreneur, and that's what I realized uh, that later, that took me like one, two months, I would say. But anyways, you realize you want to reach this point and you will take a lot of decisions and maybe the first decision will not take you straight to that point and it will just move you a little bit and you realize that you're not really on the right direction and you have to take another decision and it's not a linear path. So rather you will be taking a lot of mini decisions that will bring you to this point. The important part is not that you're taking bad decisions and doing this, which was what I was doing, but rather that you're closer to the point and that you, you are aware that these decisions were not as good as you thought about, and then you have to go back. So, so in my case, some people would have said, okay, that's, I mean, that's straightforward. Uh, you should have realized that. But in my case, because I was lacking maybe that self-esteem and I thought it was because of me uh, and all that pressure I was putting on me, just me, myself, nobody else, uh, I was unable to keep taking decisions. So I, I step a little bit aside and I did more regular work that didn't uh, involve to take decisions. And I spoke with my two colleagues, uh, Jose Miguel and David, and I told them, hey guys, uh, please, uh, I don't want to take decisions throughout some weeks. Like I need you to support me, which I suppose this brings me to the point of uh, starting a company with or without teammates, which I obviously, and, and as you can imagine right now, I would suggest to do it uh, with somebody else also, because sometimes this can happen throughout the way. I mean, you will find that your energy will not be as high and then your other partner, then the, the magic is that when you are down with your energy, they will be up with their energy. So you're somehow doing the work together. So, so this is also something that brings me to, to being sincere with you and also with your partner and with the team and with the client. So right now I'm, I'm not in the position to take decisions. But of course, I realized that that was at the beginning of the company. So it wasn't a huge uh, impact and it took uh, not, not that much for me to realize like one to two months, maybe. Um, so, so it wasn't a huge impact. But then, of course, I took much more into account how I was feeling and not letting me reach that point of uh, like burning. And so uh, right now what I do is uh, raise my hand whenever I see that something is not going okay with me. Like, hey, I feel that uh, this should go this way or that one. I, I think we're not going the right way. Rather than seeing everything not going how it should be, I, I also like 
I think that uh, lowers the, the bar a little bit. Like I, I tell my colleagues, do you feel the pressure? I'm starting to feel the pressure, right? And that is helpful because you realize you're not alone and that the rest are also feeling pressure to your, your, so, so, I mean, and also helps you to decrease the level of that pressure. Mm. So, I mean, you make fun of it, you tend to just lower it. Of course, like exercising, in my case, I love hiking. I have two dogs, so they help me a lot. So it was like, I need to see my dogs. <laughs> so it really depends. I think there's not a magic uh, answer to this. I think it's realizing and knowing yourself. So working a lot on yourself, maybe a coach, maybe you or having a colleague uh, that helps you throughout the way, improving how you are personally. Mm -hmm.